Like I wanted to go into psychiatry. Nobody I knew was a psychiatrist. There were tons of physicians in my family and they all thought, as did everyone around me, that psychiatry was sort of quackery back then. Welcome to Your Brain on Trauma, where we share science-based tools to heal from childhood traumas so you can let go of patterns that might be holding you back, have better relationships, and pass on a legacy that you're proud of. I'm your host, Dr. Kavita Sun. I'm a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a trauma recovery coach, and a survivor myself. I'm super honored to have you here. I've got so much to share with you. Let's dive in. Well, hello, hello, my friends. How are you? How are you? Oh my gosh. I love recording these podcasts for you guys. It's kind of funny because I'm just sitting alone in my room with a microphone and talking to myself, really. But I know that I am going to be reaching you in your most ordinary most intimate moments, right? Many of us, including myself, we listen to podcasts when we're walking or doing the dishes or just waiting in line at the grocery store or driving somewhere. All these day-to-day, ordinary, intimate moments, I get to be with you for a little bit And I feel so privileged to share those moments with you. So thank you for that. Thank you for, um, thank you for letting me be a part of those moments. You know, it's not a privilege that I take lightly, let me tell you. All right. So, you know, before, uh, podcast recording day I am always sort of having a thousand ideas in my head and thinking should I talk about this should I talk about that and then something happens that becomes a catalyst moment and I end up picking a topic that I wasn't most of the time sometimes I have been thinking about it but most of the time I end up picking a topic that I hadn't actually been considering at all leading up to that day (laughs) because something just inspires and pulls me forward and feels so pertinent and urgent to share and that's usually what I go with so today is one of those days today I'm going to share with you six conversations that changed my life and I hope in these conversations It will inspire you to both remember and savor such moments of grace and beauty, even if they were just drops of moments in your own life. And also, hopefully, be that source of safety and unconditional sort of love for those in your life as well. So before I get into the six conversations, I want to tell you about the Clearing Live event that's happening in March. 
March 4th, 5th and 6th, we're going to be having an online live event. And it is, I'm bringing together the best of the best tools that I have to share with you. And we're actually going to be rewiring your nervous system in real time during those three days. It's, I'm mind blown by what I am creating behind the scenes for those three days. I am so excited. I wish I would have given an arm and leg for this sort of transformation, even just like 10 years ago. So I invite you, if this calls to you, if you're ready to truly heal, permanently heal, not just Band-Aids, but really from the inside out, I invite you to come and check out this event. There's a link in the show notes that'll give you all the details, or you can just send me a DM on Facebook, Kavita Sundaramurthy. Um, if you just type in K-A-V-E-T-H-A and my last name S-U-N, you should be able to find me. And just send me a private message and I can share more details. I'd love for you to join. It's the first time we're doing something of this level of transformational power. So I hope you will gift yourself and your future generations this healing. All right, so let's jump into the six conversations that really changed the course of my life. Okay, the first one is a gift from my best friend. Her name is Dr. Uma. She and I went to med school together in India. We are like soul pods. We talk several times a week, uh, even though we haven't lived in the same continent for like 15 years plus now. <laughs> um, and she is a part of me. And I'm so blessed to have met her and to have her presence in my life. She's just an exceptionally graceful, wise, kind, present, gentle, brave human being. So I call her Umzi, which is kind of a nickname. And Umzi once told me many, many years ago when I was really struggling to make sense of why I seemed to want things that were considered not good impulses in the culture that I was growing up in, right? And this was in a wide variety of, <laughs> of aspects. Like I wanted to go into psychiatry. Nobody I knew was a psychiatrist there were tons of physicians in my family and they all thought, as did everyone around me, that psychiatry was sort of quackery back then. But somehow I wanted it. And somehow my heart was pulled toward it. And like that, there were many other things that my heart was pulled toward that I was clearly and repeatedly being told by people that I respected and loved that... I was um, on a self-destructive streak, if you will. 
And Umzi was the first person. I've had other people since then say something of this nature, but she was the first one. And I still am amazed that she even knew to say that, to think that. Because she was also raised in the same culture, you know. But she told me many, many years ago, I th- let me think, I think we were in the final year of med school. So we were probably... Back home in India, we don't do um, college. We go from high school straight to professional school. So we were in our first year of med school when we were 18. And so we were barely like 22 or so when she told me this. She said to me, Kavi, you have a lot of energy. You have a lot of physical energy. You have a lot of emotional energy. You have a lot of curiosity energy. And what I think that's a gift, that's a beautiful gift. And we want to learn to channel that in a way that feels good to you, that moves you forward, that gives you the life that you want. Because I would be reading a thousand different things at the same time. I'd be involved in a thousand different projects. I was like, bouncing off the walls and just always on the go. And a lot of the people around me, again, people that I respected, looked up to, knew that they loved me, told me that this scatterbrained approach and what they saw as impulsive decisions, they were warning me against. But Umzi said to me, no, it's not bad. You have so much curiosity about the world, about the brain, about life. And you have so much energy in your body and in your emotions and in your way of being. And that is a gift. And that gift needs to be channeled in a way that gives you the life that you want. And I will never forget how that shifted my worldview. First of all, it shifted my view of myself. And second, it gave me a way to channel my energy and my focus and my interests in a way that made my life better. And I will never, I mean, I am so indebted to Umzi for many, many things, but this conversation is definitely one of them. It's a big one because it really changed the course of my life. It changed how I looked at my own physiology. It changed how I looked at decision-making. It changed the things I pursued and decided to drop pursuing. It changed the person that I became and the future that I created for myself. So that is the first conversation that I wanted to talk to you guys about. The second conversation (laughs) was many, many years later when I was dating my current wife. We met in 2015 and It was maybe two or three months after we had met. We were living in Hartford, Connecticut. Actually, I was living um, 
in a, in a town called Manchester, Connecticut, and she was living in Hartford, Connecticut. I'd gone to visit her and we'd gone on a date and we were walking down the, there's a sort of a river bank that you can walk down in downtown Hartford and we were walking down and I was telling her that I sometimes feel as an immigrant, as someone that is stuck in a no man's land, right? I've been in the U.S. now for almost 20 years. And in this time, I have come to love certain aspects a lot. A lot of my life here, I love. And I also miss my hometown, the sights, the smells, the food, the people, all of it. The noise, the heat, right? I long for that too. And I was telling her that being an immigrant sometimes feels like being stuck in a no man's land. Like when I'm in India, I miss my life here. And when I'm here, I miss my life in India. And she said to me, what if, what if it also meant that instead of one home, you have two homes? What if it's not that you don't have a home and that you're stuck in a no man's land? What if it is that you have two homes, both safe, loving places that you have a special bond with? And both homes mean something to you. You know, many people never leave their hometown or their home state. And yes, they may have a sense of home geographically in one place, but not everybody has an emotional sense of safety and comfort around their hometown. So just because they haven't left that hometown doesn't mean that everybody would have that sense of safety in their hometown. But you're saying that you have two places where you feel safe and loved. So maybe it is that you have two homes. And that blew my mind. I had never considered that. Sounds strange now, right? When somebody or something in life just brings up a truth, it's kind of like, it. once you see that truth, you're like, how did I not see this before? That's a nature of powerful truths. And that's how I felt when I was given the gift of considering that I have two homes rather than being stuck in a no man's land. And since that moment, my experience as an immigrant has changed. My sense of being comfortable in my own skin, even while I'm longing for some aspects of the other home, has been just priceless. So that conversation really taught me the power of 
seeing and making meaning in ways that also feel really true, but completely changes our day-to-day experience. So that's the second one. The third one is actually with my dad. Um, We were sitting in my car and I was a resident then. I'd finished my med school. I'd come here. Um, I'd gone through a divorce and I was in a studio apartment doing my residency in psychiatry. My dad had come to visit. We were sitting in my car and I was telling him that I'm not sure if at all it is possible for me to have the intimate relationship life that I envision. I don't know if that's possible. Of course, it was possible, but back then, I didn't know that it was. I also came from a culture where I didn't think it was possible, right? So I was telling him that, and he tells me, you know, when you can't make sense of relationships and your feelings, the best thing is to just push them to the side and focus on your career. And that was really a sort of an interesting perspective. Luckily, by then, I knew enough about myself to reject that as a a solution. That wasn't going to be my solution, but it really opened my eyes. Like in that moment, it all clicked into place that this man, my poor dad, had had so much trauma in his own upbringing and first two decades of his own life that he had no way to make sense of no one to help him make sense of, no one gave him language or the tools to heal and make sense of what had happened in the first two decades of his life. And it made complete sense to me why he had pushed aside all emotional, relational connections and time spent to cultivate emotional connection or relational connection or emotional deepening. Why he had pushed that away, it just completely made sense to me in that moment. And I was like, oh my God, this is what he had done to his own life. He had no way to make sense of it. No one to help him make sense of just horrific losses and traumas in his early life that he survived by pushing that entire world and repressing that and suppressing all of his needs, all of his emotions and focusing on his career. And he was uber successful, okay? He was a retinal eye surgeon and came from abject poverty and created a mini empire back home. He had the success that you would expect out of three or four generations. He did in one lifetime. And it made sense to me that that is how he survived. That's how he kept himself sane through his own trauma. And that that conversation changed, even though the advice itself wasn't something that I was going to take on, it changed my view of my dad 
into one of compassion almost, a softening. And through the years after that, there was more softening from both sides. But that was the beginning of me seeing him as not just my dad who had failed me or hurt me, but as a human being who had barely survived. And it became the seed for many other healing moments over the next 10 years. The next conversation I want to talk about is something that a psychiatrist once said to me. This was again, uh, I was in the, I was in the beginning in between my residency and fellowship. Um, and I was going through a hard time. I went to see a psychiatrist through the recommendation of some of my colleagues. And she wasn't even doing therapy for me. She was just doing her initial intake and asking me my, you know, my symptoms and my life history and such. Oh, right, right. No, it was not in between residency and fellowship. No, it was earlier on. It was in the beginning, very beginning of my residency. I was still in my marriage and contemplating if I should leave or stay. That's right. And this push and pull and not knowing what to do was tearing me apart. I was not sleeping. I was struggling and performing in my residency and such. And so I went to see the psychiatrist. She was doing an intake. She was brilliant. But she said something to me. I was sharing with her that I didn't know what to do. There was a lot of push and pull inside my heart. And I couldn't stay, but I couldn't leave and blah, blah, blah. And she said to me, listen, consider that you will be okay either way. If you will be okay, you will have love and connection and joy and friendships and experiences and growth and difficulties and challenges and heartaches, you will be okay. You will even flourish in many, many ways. Either way, whatever decision you take. With that as a backdrop, as a given, now what do you want to do? And I remember being speechless. Like it, it felt like somebody had slapped me. Like I just felt like I'd been woken up by, you know, from a dream state. And I was just like, whoa, if there is no right decision, if there's no one decision that is going to give me wonderful stuff and one wrong decision that's going to destroy my life and there's no way to come back from it, which is how I was thinking about it. So I was stuck because I was like, well, I have to make the right decision then. But she said to me, consider that you will be okay and you will flourish and you will have difficult moments and challenges and heartbreak, but you will also flourish and grow and have joy and laughter and connection either way. With that as a backdrop, now think about what is it that you do want? What is it you want to do? What is it that you want? Not what is right or wrong, but what you want. And I will never forget that moment 
that chair that I was sitting in, the way the light was coming into the room, her words and the, her expression on her face as she was saying them, the table. That moment, there was a before and after for me. And subsequent many, many decisions, I have taken this way of looking at it and saying, it's not this one decision that's going to be either giving me paradise life forever or suffering forever. Either way, I will have immense pleasure and some struggles. It brings me back to, okay, what do I want? If that's the truth, now what do I want? And that's been a very, very wise way of looking at decisions for me. And so my next conversation that I want to share with you is actually from my daughter. <laughs> she is four and a half and she, I swear, is some sort of wise Zen master in a tiny body. <laughs> like how the heck she comes up with these things that she comes up with, it's just beyond me. It like shocks me. I've had a few moments like this with her, but this one is the one that I want to share with you guys today. This was when she was just three. She had just turned three. The day after her third birthday, we went to Hawaii and uh, we had gone on a vacation. And we were on a sort of a little boat for a tour um, while we were in Hawaii and they took us on this little tour and we came back and I had been a little worried that the boat, because it had been sort of shaky, I was worried that it had scared her because she was really quiet and she's usually a bit of a chatterbox, right? She was quiet for a little while and when we got down from the boat and we were walking on the beach back to the hotel, I said to her, are you okay? How are you feeling? Are you okay? And she said, I'm okay. And I said, are you sure you're really quiet? And she said to me, I'll be okay. I'm always okay, Dada. Even if I'm sad. She said, I'm always okay. Even if I'm sad, even if I'm quiet, or even if I'm sad, I'm always okay. Again, these, that moment, I still remember where we were standing in the beach, who was around us, what she was wearing. I was holding onto her hand, what she was wearing, her feet and my feet on the sand. I still remember that moment as if it was happening in real time now. It was so vivid because it just, I don't know, it filled my entire being with a sense of, Yes, she feels safe enough within herself to feel what is passing through her. She's not denying her emotions, nor is she caught up in them to the, to the point of feeling like I won't be okay because I'm sad, I can't be sad. Oh no, it's, it's terrible to be sad. She was telling me, she was teaching me that she's going to be okay, she's always okay, even if she was also feeling sad in that moment or quiet in that moment. Wow. Wow. I didn't know 
how I couldn't have said it better even in my late 30s. And here was this three years and one week old who was teaching me this lesson. That was a beautiful moment. And the final um, conversation that I want to share with you guys is not a conversation that I had directly with this person. This person is my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law passed before I met my wife. So I'd never met her. But this conversation was something that my wife shared with me as something that she got from her mom. And it changed the way that I am with myself when I'm having a hard day or the way I am with other people who may be irritable or grumpy. So my mother-in-law had raised my wife with this saying that when you are grumpy, that's when you need the most loving. And I'd never, I mean, I didn't grow up in a family like that. We weren't allowed to be grumpy, really. And if we were, we got in trouble for it. And I also grew up seeing grumpiness as a bad thing, right? Now, it's one thing to say that we need to have boundaries if someone is treating us badly, 100%. That is our responsibility to know what our boundaries are and to uphold them. But I would do that in a harsh, blaming way before I learned this lesson from my mother-in-law through my wife. I would be abrupt in my boundary setting. Now, since I learned this lesson from her, I still set boundaries when someone is being grumpy or irritable or snippy, but it's done with love and kindness and compassion that that person is is a nervous system that is struggling in that moment and they need more loving maybe if i'm able to i can give that to them but if i'm not able to i at least see that they are a suffering nervous system while i'm gently but firmly setting a boundary that i might need to set and it's completely changed the way that I show up in my relationships, whether it's with my clients, with my extended family, with my immediate family, with my friendships, with my neighbors, right? When someone is grumpy, that's when they need the most loving. It's also changed the way I relate to my own grumpiness. When I'm feeling out of sorts, irritable, overwhelmed, grumpy, snippy, it helps me pause and say, I need more loving. What do I need to do to take care of myself, to really um, really hold myself tenderly and do kind things? Not just think kind things, but actually do kind things and take care of myself. Some of that might mean asking for a hug or for a cup of tea from someone around me. But some of it is also things that I do for myself. I used to see my own grumpiness as something to be um, something to be solved. It's a problem and I need to get rid of it. And I would get rid of it either by blaming myself or by blaming that grumpiness on someone else. 
But now, when I'm grumpy, I'm able to say, right now, my system needs more loving. And it's transformed the way I show up in life for myself and for other beings around me. So, my friends, these are the six conversations. There are many, many more that have shaped my life, but these six really come to my mind quite a bit, and I use it in everyday life. And they were the first six that came to me when I was thinking about just conversations that shift the course of our lives. And I hope that they have inspired you to think about moments, words, glances, ways of being that other people have given for you and what you might want to take from that into your own life and also the gifts that you can give other people, right? So I will wrap up this session since it's already past 30 minutes. I hope that was useful to you. If it was, please give us a review. Reviews are podcast gold because that's really how Apple then decides to show the podcast to other people. Other people get to find this podcast and maybe there'll be something in the podcast that might help them in their day. So if you would, please give us a review if you haven't. And if you'd like to ask me a question or come to our clearing event or want more details about that, check in the show notes or send me a private message on Facebook and I will share with you all about the event and you can decide if it feels like the right fit for you. All right. Big hugs to you. Thank you again for spending these few ordinary moments with me. Big hugs and talk to you soon. Hi, my friend. If you found this episode helpful, come join us in our free Facebook group called Your Brain on Trauma. The link is in the show notes and there is a whole community there of women just like you who are on this sacred healing journey. We cannot heal in isolation. We need community. And that's what we have in our free Facebook group. I'll see you there.